This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. The 13th of October marked the ninth year since 33 trapped Chilean miners were rescued. And if you've been following me, then last month, you know, we talked about the Chilean mining incident and we talked about it in the context of what did the government do that was effective in the crisis and also what the mining company did that was ineffective in the crisis. Well, today we're really going to talk about the miners themselves, and we're going to talk about the leadership and the teamwork that they put together in the mine in order to survive. And in case you don't remember, they were trapped for about 69 days. And just to paint a picture, I want you to understand that they are a long way underground, trapped underground in this mine in pitch black darkness. It was very hot and they had limited food and water. And you can imagine that after 69 days without the light of day, without water and the proper way to take care of yourself, the smell was also probably not very pleasant at the time. Nevertheless, they did some things while trapped that I think are worth us paying attention to. First of all, they organized themselves. And one good reason to organize yourself is because it'll give you something to do and it helps you to remember that you don't plan to be there forever. You're planning to get out And it can remind you that there is the possibility and the option of getting out of this trap position. Number two, they actually made some pledges to each other. They pledged teamwork. They pledged the one man vote. So one person wasn't going to be able to strong arm the whole group, but each person had a voice. Each person had a vote. And even given your position, your vote didn't outweigh someone else's vote because you might have had a higher position. And they pledged unity and solidarity in this situation. And that unity and solidarity even included the old adage of what goes on the road stays on the road. And we'll say a little bit more about that later. Number three, the older men also helped the younger. And I want you to think the older men had a lot more experience. Perhaps they had been in smaller mining accidents or scenarios before. And they, through their wisdom, were able to keep hope alive with the younger generation. Number four, they assigned three men as scouts to kind of go around in the area where they were to find out what resources they had, what was available and what their options were. And five, they made detailed maps of their environment. Now, keep in mind, the maps, not only for their use, also for those who were attempting to rescue them. 
Now, there were a number of roles, number six, that they assigned while trapped in the mine. Some of those roles were expected and some were unexpected in terms of what you think they might do. So I'm going to start with what I'd call the expected roles first. They had a medic. Now, clearly, you want to assign someone to be in charge of minor injuries that have occurred and maybe treating those as best you can. So that makes sense. They also had a communication specialist. Since they knew that people were trying to locate them, they had to be able to communicate and send messages up from time to time or be able to speak out loud in a way that they could at times be heard. So they had a communication specialist. They also had a religious leader and a pastor. The pastor's role was to provide daily prayers for the men while they were down there. So those are some of the expected roles you could think might emerge in a situation like this. In addition to those roles, they also had a videographer who was recording their experiences and some of what was happening to them that they could send some of those video footage above ground as well. And they assigned a person to be the host of the video post. So they were, in essence, they had a little show going down there that was designed as part of the communication plan to keep people informed both then and later. And they assigned a biographer to also capture what was going on with them. And then the most unusual, unexpected role, at least for me, was they even had a poet. That's amazing that in a situation like this, you would even assign a poet. To me, this shows tremendous understanding of human nature, that as people, we are multifaceted, and each part of the person has got to be fed and sustained in order to thrive under such adverse conditions and to live through it to see the light of day. It was quite valuable for them to keep busy, to keep a future focus, to be thinking about when they would leave, when they would get out, maintaining hope of being rescued. Imagine if it had only been three days, you'd say, oh, okay, somebody's probably going to get us. After 69 days, your mind could start to play tricks on you and you could think maybe we're never getting out of here. However, what they did in their leadership and their organization kept that hope alive. They also worked cooperatively so that no one was isolated and working cooperatively, each person can assess where a team member might be mentally, psychologically, spiritually, on a whole lot of different dimensions, physically, and intervene early. And then, as I mentioned earlier about what goes on the road stays on the road, we don't know exactly everything that happened while they were in that mine. 33 men trapped in a very, very small area that was a difficult area. You can imagine that psychologically, this would be difficult to sustain over a long period of time. It's quite likely that there were some days where everyone was not at their best. And so they also covenanted and agreed to maintain some confidences about some of the things that may have happened there. Maybe somebody didn't show up at their best and they would be embarrassed to have that talked about later above ground. And so they just said, what happened in the mind stays in the mind. And sometimes that's the best way that we can honor people 
is to protect their integrity in those ways when they're not showing up at their best and the circumstances are hard and very difficult. It's really easy to be a leader when things are going well. You might think that you're the greatest ship captain in the world when the seas are calm and the winds are not high. However, when the rough waters come, that's when you're really tested as a ship's captain. And that's when you get to see if you really know what you're doing. You know, I'm remembering back some years ago when I was doing some work with some venture capital organizations, venture capital leaders. And during part of that time, life was pretty easy. You could do almost anything and make money. However, then business got a little bit harder. And those who may have thought they were great venture capital leaders learned that there was something that maybe they needed to learn more of in order to be successful during the tougher times or the rougher seas. So here's what I know. It's very important to groom yourself and get prepared for that rough water. Those miners who were trapped in the mine had been developing their leadership in a variety of contexts long before they found themselves deep in the underground mine. And as a leader, you want to groom and prepare yourself long before the rough water comes. So I invite you to contact me, talk to me, and I am very happy to show you some successful ways to groom yourself and get ready for what those rough waters might look like in your industry. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.